Turkey hunting is one of my favorite things. And one of the key tools I use for turkey hunting is the Onyx Hunt Map. I use it incessantly when I'm hunting turkeys. Being able to find a new piece of public or gaining permission on private opens up opportunities for gobblers. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you this spring. Use the code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt. You'll find more birds this season. I'm telling you, I rely on Onyx Hunt when I'm hunting turkeys. It is an invaluable turkey hunting tool. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without your essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting in to go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on and having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. Many of you know Axis deer is considered to be the best tasting venison on the planet. I've been hearing that for years. And that those deer cause some ecological harm. Well, Maui Nui Venison is bringing those Axis deer to the market. So you can get some fresh cuts and sticks shipped to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com. Use promo code MEATEATER for 20% off your order. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. That's nice. Thank you. Uh, But do you find... Like, you know, a lot of bulls have crazy bugles. Yeah, I mean, they're they're spread across the board. From or you, you, Sometimes you have some bull, he'd be like, ah, you know? <laughs> the ones that sound like they broke their uh, larynx somehow. Yeah, we were in, not to diverge too quick, too fast, but I was in the Bob Marshall in 2012, uh-huh. and the place is untouched, basically, in some of these areas. And we had a bull that beagled that sounded like an owl that I would have never believed it if he didn't answer me like five, you know, within that five second range. And he did it again. And it was like an owl hooting. I'm like, what? Can you give me an example? I almost can. And and then the, 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 just just do it without a call, but just just do it or come as close as you can to mimicking what he's doing. But you're not even really that thump. It's just kind of a, an owl hoot sound. And then on that same day, we walked a half mile down the ridge and one sound like a donkey. And it did it twice, like that. a hee-haw yeah. type sound. I'm like, wow, this is, I felt like I was in some crazy land. Like, this, these aren't elk anymore. But we called them both in to 25 yards. And, like, no, they were elk. And they bugled that way the whole way in. Just crazy. All kinds so of sounds. when you're out, you know, I, that's kind of what I guess I'm getting at is, like, we talked about this a bunch this spring when we were all hot on talking about turkeys is, you know, you work so hard to get the right sounds. You know, yep. you work so hard to get like high level turkey calm, like which I'm not great at. But then when you're out in the turkey woods, birds will come in doing stuff that, <laughs> you know, 
Yeah, just crazy. Come into, like we had a guy after we had this conversation, we had a guy send us a video. It was the hand that comes in and like um I think he yelped like twenty seven times in a row. Oh, I thought it was in the sixties. Was it, was it just it was, it was just like nonstop? Yeah. Where everybody's like, "Well, you should never yelp more than you know." Yeah, and if five I was seven times, and if and we sat, in, if we sat out in the woods and we're leaning against a tree, and my body's gonna start calling, and he gets going and he hits sixty, <laughs> right? If you look at him like, "What in the world are you doing?" Yeah. So in the bugling thing, like when you're ripping bugles like that, do you mess around with doing the crazy ones, or do you think it wor- like do you think it's it works best to have like that clean? really like quintessential escalating topped out pitch bugle like the perfect bugle so or do you rip crazy bugles too so when i'm locating so that's just my standard walking down the ridge line i try to get that high note that rings your ears and i do that one the same every time you know call me boring vanilla ice cream just i'm gonna get the high note i'm gonna get the high note i'm gonna get the high note but once I get in on a bull, then I try to, and that's where I think becoming a good caller may help, is I try to mimic that bull exactly. If he is that weird donkey bull or whatever, I might mimic him. Or Do you, you know, really? If it gets that crazy, maybe not. But most of your bulls that, that I would say within your general sounds, like if they're a lip baller, which is the bugle I just did, that real knocky bugle through the center. If they're a high note with two chuckles, I try to match him. Um, so I just try to kind of match the bull I'm trying to call in and mimic him. Um, once we get once we get into that situation, but but for my location bugles, when I'm trying to just get something to answer, I'm pretty just plain Jane two or three note as high as I can get. You know, send it down the canyon and then listen. If you had to, okay, if you had to choose for locating out, if I said you can bring your binoculars, you can bring optics, or you can bring a bugle, you're going Ooh, bugle. Oh, man. That's a good question. <laughs> so so all of, and and. All the seminars I do, my preferred way to spot them, I'm going to give you the, the, the easiest answer ever here. I'm going to tell you why each. I would don't love, give it to me from the game caller perspective. No, I would love, I would much rather spot elk with my binoculars any day over top of, of uh, you know, than, than locating them with a the bugle. That way they don't know I'm in the world. I can sit and watch them and oh, figure out what's going that's on. That's a good point. But if I had to leave my locator bugle, if I can't spot them within the first half hour of the day, then I'm screwed because now I need that that location bugle the rest of the, the, you know, for the next two or three hours of that morning to try to get something going. So neither of them are good, but I would say, man, I would probably leave the optics. If I had to pick, I'd take the location bugle. Yeah. And, and again, did, I think two things that would be major factors would be like, is it September or is it November? Yeah. <laughs> right? No, no, no. Yeah. I'm talking like, September. I'm talking September hunting. hunting, man. Yeah. So I'm, the only reason I'm, I'm hoping that if I bring my location bugle, I can either spot them with naked eye is there elk out in the middle of an opening, hopefully close, or they're going to be sounding off on their own. So I don't want to necessarily leave that location bugle at the truck. I'll leave my binoculars. Yeah. And to add to that, I feel like, again, we're going to make a lot of uh, call call outs to turkeys, but like both of those animals are like much like sort of more fun and easier to hunt when they're making sounds and when they clam up you're like, it's completely two different things, yeah. right? And sometimes with elk, you really have to be hammering to get them to start talking, yep. you know? What are the, when you do a, a standard, your standard locator bugle, well, first, can you explain what you mean by a locator bugle, just so people are tracking? So, you know, and we can get into the science, and, and I don't claim to know. No, no, it. I don't even mean like yeah. I'm going to have you dissect a bugle, but I mean like when you say like locating, just tell people what you mean by that. So, uh, 
it's the idea that I'm going to pronounce that I'm an elk. I'm up here on this ridge line, and I'm just looking for a response. And it's kind of a territorial thing. That herd bull or even that other satellite bull, you say, hey, I'm up here. I'm da-, and then he'll answer, I'm down here. Kind of that Marco Polo game, you know, so to speak. Like, Marco Polo, all right, now I got you. That's, you know, you didn't know I wasn't a real elk, so now I can start the game, you know, figure out where the wind's at. And so you're just looking for a response. You're not trying to call them in. You're not trying to threaten them, scare them, anything at that point. It's just kind of a just a get quick, their GPS coordinates. Yeah, just a quick clean, all right, now I got a, I got a pin on you. We'll figure out how to, you know, try to get on you now. And that raises a couple other questions. Uh, real quick, tell people what a satellite bowl is. So satellite bull, um, it's just that bull that's kind of uh, hanging close to that herd bull. The herd bulls typically, they've got their pecking order figured out. That herd bull, anywhere from, you know, it could be a single cow, two cows in some places when the bull to cow ratio is high, all the way down to, in my area in coastal Washington, you have herds of 25, 30, and it's not even unheard of to to have more cows than that. Where that one big boss bull is kind of running the show. Yep. Or like the you know there's like a lead cow running. The, there's a lead cow who's saying like we're going here, yep. but pestering them and corralling yeah. them and yeah. defending them from all comers. <laughs> yeah, she is tells like the chief bull. Yeah, she tells them where they're going. He kind of tells them how they're going to get there. Um, and sort of and a, who's going to come along. Yeah, yeah, and he keeps them rounded up. But then these satellite bulls are your you know subordinate, submature, sometimes even mature bulls. You know, if you get into some of these spots, you might have a giant satellite bull, body wise and age wise, maturity wise. But that herd bull's big enough and more dominant enough to keep them just kind of on the shadows of this herd. Well, what happens throughout the day and throughout September, these satellite bulls come in and try to pick off a cow or two from them. And so this herd bull spends a ton of time like running them off. And you know, well, when you run off a satellite bull, now there's you know, there's sometimes multiple satellite bulls. They're they're coming to pester from the opposite direction, almost like they're working against him to, you know, pick cows out of his herd. So you got these satellite bulls and it becomes very, very fun elk hunting when that happens because that herd bull becomes very, very active, very, very talkative. The satellite bulls get very, very talkative and active and it kind of creates that that rut frenzy that that yeah. just you know I've heard guys talk time. about I haven't seen this personally, but I've heard guys talk about like a herd bull being so fixated on chasing and harassing other bulls that they're watching as all these other bulls are slipping in and breeding a cow. Yep. And instead of just like breeding the cow, he just can't help himself but just chase everyone all over the place and just open himself up. Yeah. To having like the very thing he's trying to prevent from happening. He's basically allowing it to happen by running other bulls a hundred yards in some direction all the time. You yeah. Know? And we've watched them from across the canyon. It's almost like they pay, they've got that herd bull will pick out one or two. He really doesn't like, you know, like us, he got his worst enemy and he'll spend more time. He'll let those other bulls get so much closer to his herd and spend more time on that one bull. It seems like, man, you're just, you're letting these other ones slip in. It's just, I don't know what goes through their head, but some are, yeah, some are like, they're like fighters and not lovers. Man. Yeah. Yeah. What, uh, so what do you think about this? Like if you're out locating, can you, you're, you're up, I, I, you know, presume you like to be up high. Yep where you can broadcast down as much ground as you can. When you see a bull, I'm trying to think of how to ask this. A bull doesn't go up high. A real bull doesn't go up high and rip out bugles just to see who's out on the landscape, right? Yep. He's doing something different. Yeah. He's not like, hey, where are you? Because I'm going to come 400 yards over that direction and beat your ass, <laughs> you know? Like, what is he communicating when he's bugling? So, 
what we're trying to mimic, in my opinion, with that ridge running, you know, or fire road running, whatever that, that get high so you can really use, you know, the, the, the terrain to your advantage. Satellite bulls will do that, especially those somewhat mature satellite bulls or the, they will run ridges looking for those cows. And so when we had the, the chance to hunt, but what do they do? What are they bugling for? They're just trying to locate cows. In the real world, us removed, that satellite bull is running looking for, like, hey, I'm here. And, 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 you know, without us being involved, that cow would come to him. Oh, so you think they really are up there cruising, bugling, and not, bugling trying to find elk, not just bugling as a way of being, I have them. Yep. I mean, we've walked, I'm going to hang on to them. We were in the blues in four, 2014 down there in Southeast Washington where it's a little bit different of a, you know, it's a special draw. Um, the elk are a lot more active. There's a lot more of them. We multi, on multiple occasions, we would be in the timber and heard that happen where you could hear a bull run a finger ridge up, run the main ridge out, run a finger ridge down. And he was just bugling as fast as he could run by himself. And we ended up calling him in. Um, and, and calling that bull in and, and the, the shooter missed it a couple times. Um, we watch it across. You're talking the blues in Washington. Yeah. yeah. Washington State. We watch the same thing across the way. You would watch a herd bull just, and you could hear him. You would watch him just run a ridgeline and beagle every couple hundred yards. I think he was just flat out looking for cows. He had none. Um, just, just running ridges looking for, looking for help. So he's like a, like a boss gobbler out. I was just going to say, it's amazing the similarities. Well, Yanni yeah. doesn't like it when people say he doesn't. He doesn't like when people say that elk hunting's like turkey hunt. No, no, oh, no, no, no. Remy, Remy, Remy yeah. doesn't like it because, admittedly, there are some enormous differences. Yep, yep, right. Just the gut pile, right? <laughs> Just the gut yeah, pile this, alone. Yep, a little yeah. different. <laughs> yeah, some of these Western hunters, some of us Western hunters, not us, me included, but some people have some issues with that that comparison, the whole elk versus turkey. But but yeah, as you, far as the but there's more dudes more dudes hunt turkeys than hunt elk. Yep, and. When you're hunting turkeys, you're out being like, there's a vocal male, okay? There's a vocal male who's territorial, who doesn't like other males, who wants hens to come to him. You're making the noise of females. It's like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But there's like some similarities. Yeah. More than in duck hunting. No one says elk hunting's like duck hunting. <laughs> no, as far, I, I think you're, you're exactly on point. As far as the calling aspects and, and kind of the, what's going through your head, what's going through their head, they're pretty dang close. You know, I think the, 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 the similarities are, you know, the terrain you're in, maybe how difficult the hunt is, but there's, but there's some tough turkey hunting too. Shit, those so, differences. Yeah. Antlers. Yeah. Right. There's all these <laughs> things. And, and it's funny because I would never, like, let's say I hung out with some dude who, uh, had always hunted elk. Okay. And he's out for his first turkey hunt. I wouldn't be like, bro, it's just like hunt, right? It only goes the other direction because it's you're trying to invite people who have a familiarity, you know, the millions of individuals who have a familiarity with turkey hunting. You're kind of just trying to invite them to start thinking about the whole thing. Yep. So it's not meant to be an insult. <laughs> like I said, you know, you can fit a turkey's gut pile in your pocket, in your back pocket. Yeah, the elk. You gotta yep. have a wheelbarrow for that thing. A lot of the, a lot of the tactics. I feel like if you're strictly talking the hunting, the calling, it's pretty similar. Yeah. But back to the cows, yeah. though. Responding to, I've twice had it running ridges, bugling away, and a bugle, and like the last thing you think you're gonna hear is yeah, and sure enough, like you know, less than a hundred yards away, I have a cow answer yes. me. Her coming into the bugle. But what's interesting, both times that happened, I mean, it was right on the back end of that cow call is then the bull that was with her went, 
that was like, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, and, yeah, and so, both times, I heard crashing away. Ruined, that, yeah. that bull took that cow and was like, we're going yeah. that direction. Came up, hooked her, and took her the other way. So let me ask you this then, both of you guys. Have you seen many instances when you're out ridge running? What do you call it? You're just out locating on the yep. ridges, ridge running. Have you called in many bullless cows doing that? Not, I mean, we have not a lot. Um, I say you're just looking for that location because typically we get that location because we bail off towards him. But no, I would say. But get not, what I'm after. Yeah, though. yeah. If that's the way that real life works. No, and I think, I think even the satellite bull, and this is just my own thoughts on it. There's not a lot of loose cows running, you know, or, or un unherded up cows running around i think but for that satellite bulls it's worth that last ditch effort to run those ridges and, and just see what's out there um another thing a reason that and they could be very similar to us that that somewhat mature satellite bull could be looking for a different herd like hey i can't take that guy down there's cows because he's a big you know he's the toughest guy on the mountain but maybe there's a herd bull on the other side or down here in a different pocket that's maybe not as tough and i have a chance at him you know, so there's, there may yeah. be a couple different reasons. He may be just searching for, you know, loose cows or, or a different herd bull to go try to fight. Yeah, that's easy for me to picture is that he's just out ripping bugles. And when he hears something, he's like, what the hell? I'm going to go over there and have a look, see what's going on. Yeah. Maybe some dinky little shit and I'm going to yep. clobber him. And then he'll be up running ridges and I'll be down here yep. playing grab ass. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he already did the hard work for me. He's got these <laughs> things all rounded up. I just got to scoop in. and That's my friend Brant would talk about... Uh, up in Anchorage, Alaska, he would talk about these these uh, big mallards that would hang around on campus where they had some open ponds and stuff. And they'd be up there and they'd just get fat, you know, these huge big mallards. And then the migratory ducks would come up and they'd just be emaciated, you know, from that long migration. <laughs> he said they'd land in that big, that big local duck and be like, I'll take it from here, boys. <laughs> <laughs> and then just take over all the hens, you know. Yeah. He's just totally fat and happy. <laughs> what are the... um? What are the parts of a bugle? So there, do you think about it in that way? I do, and there's there's different ways to mix and match. Kind of, the, there's your opening. You can um, you know, a lot of the people start off with a growl, or you know, a real. I say we should talk about real bulls. A real bull will start off, you know, raspy or growly, which um, we can we can mimic with adding some voice in with our throat. Yeah, do the, do uh, the whole thing. And then I'll have you break out some parts. Let's just do because we have we haven't had you rip one since we started talking. So just about kind it. of a, a here we'll do a kind of a standard challenge. We all try to think about the different parts that are in there, and at least what I do, and then we'll come back and try to explain them. I'm gonna try to count how many parts I think are in there. I like that end, man, because when you're watching one do it and you see his belly just yeah, drop. Yeah, oh, and then, it's cool. And they're looking, pissing man. all over themselves. And yeah, that. like when they get like that, man, they look like they'd be eating meat. <laughs> you can picture them just like killing a rabbit and eating it <laughs> when they're up ripping those when out just, their belly just going. And yeah, it's like, you're like, yeah, at some point you'd switch <laughs> diets almost, man, you know? So you got like the, the, yeah, there's that opening, which yeah. I typically don't do the growly. I usually just start clean. Um, clean into the escalation yeah yeah and then you kind of you kind of transition really quick into your high note so you can kind of there's that intro the transition into the high note 
I hold, I try to hold that high note for, you know, one or two seconds. And it depends on what bugle. Maybe we should, should just, so there's that location bugle, which is just a two or three note, high note, and then quit. So there's only maybe two or three parts of the location. The challenge bugle I just did. And then th- halfway through that high note, I try to drop my voice back into the call. So he, and then you try to like get growly there towards the end. And that's just kind of my idea of adding some aggression back in. And then I finish with the grunt. So intro, get to the high note, add some voice back in, either finish with some chuckles, grunts, or you can just kind of pop the bugle off and end it there. And Um, you found like on the locations, like when you're doing locators, you found that, that, that like extending, prolonging that highness, the high note can fire them up more than when you don't. I wouldn't say extending it. I would say it's it's that tone you reach. Get making sure you get that tone that hits your ears because it gets it somehow gets their attention. I don't like to and the length of it. I actually don't like to be that long. I want to be like two or three seconds because there's a chance that that bull may do a weird grunt or do like a weird little answer or a cow may answer somewhere in there. And if I'm ripping a bugle, I can't necessarily hear that. You know, like some of those the those ones in the Bob Marshall, for instance, they were very quick because I don't know if they've ever heard a bugle in their life or a per, you know, or there's not a lot, and they were answering like literally. I would barely catch a tail end of their responses, and I'm like, "What the heck was that again?" You know, and yeah, that's a good point. So man. you I, you want to keep that bugle, in my opinion, two to three seconds, and then listen. But but talk about what you were telling me with you and a buddy watching elk and trying to get them to respond. Which which story was that? You were just talking about you guys were doing different types of bugles, oh, and there were certain situ- and there were certain types of bugles that would make them fire up, and some that he would ignore. Yeah, so we you know, run in areas. It's obvious as we're running these ridge lines. Like there's elk here. You could see fresh tracks. You could smell them. They smell like a one of those big black markers. You know, the, <laughs> you could they just have a unique smell. You're like, man, there are elk here. They they can hear us from right here. They were here this morning. It's like a sw- barnyard with like kind of a sweet, nice. Yeah, and then the big bulls, I think when they're flat out going, there's those big like Super 44 black markers that have that just pungent smell. Like That's what I always imagine. Like There's a there's a big bull here somewhere. That's that just, funny you say that, man, because I always said that antelope, like pronghorn antelope, they smell like Frito-Lay corn chips, man, <laughs> when you put your nose up to their fur, you know? Yeah. Black marker for elk. Yeah, black, big, the, that big Magnum 44 marker, whatever the heck it is, it's like that... You, anyways, that's just no, what I'm I think sure. about. I get, you, I, man. I get you. Um, but yeah, on that hunt, we knew there were elk. And so uh, me and my buddy, we're just experimenting like, hey, you, Beagle, he's not quite as loud as me, but Beagle, and then, but don't get the high note. Like just stay somewhere in the middle. And he would do that and nothing. We, he'd maybe let him do it twice. And then I would come in with that high note that just kind of rattles your ears, rattles your buddy's ears, makes you kind of want to plug your ears during that Beagle because it, it's just that resonance is that one that drones in your ears and we get an instant response. Like, all right, let's let's do this scientifically. We need to switch up. So next time I'm going to go just hit a, a mundane mid-note, just boring, and, and then you'll hit the high note just to make sure it's not volume or something else that we're doing. And sure enough, uh, I wouldn't get a response on a mid-note bugle. He'd hit the high note, and bam, just the instant response. And, and it, I think there's very... Very good data just from our own selves. And, and you hear a lot of hunters like, yeah, until I can get that high note, you, we just don't get responses. So there's something about it that makes them pay attention to yeah, it. Yeah, maybe it, it penetrates better, you know, through the, through the thick brush. It, it travels better. Something is better about it that, that gets them, maybe it's just internally like they hear that note and like, hey, I am going to answer that one. Yeah, because that, that's the funny thing about it. Is like you'll never know what kind of trip they're on. Yeah. You'll never know like, like when they hear it, what are they hearing? I, I, I talk, I've mentioned this before, but I was talking to a friend of mine who's done a lot of research on turkeys, right? And he's talking about the iridescence of birds. 
you know, and he, he, he believes that when a bird looks at a bird, it sees something very different than when you look at a bird. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you can't yeah. compare your impression of what a turkey looks like walking through the woods to what it might look like a turkey. With his vision, what's in his mind, the iridescence of the feathers, the way he picks up that color. And it's like, it's just two different worlds, you know? Little things can sort of give you a glimpse into it, but you just don't know what kind of trip they're on. Yep. How they're, you don't know how they're like analyzing or processing yeah. the information around them. And there's a, there's a, I kind of cater more to the temperament of the elk and my calling style. I kind of let the, I react to them. Um, there, there are quite a few guys out there that have, uh, you know, kind of broken down elk language or maybe what some of this stuff means and, and they're successful. So I'm not necessarily going to argue with them, but I was kind of a nerd at this stuff when I was growing up, you know, 18 to, to 25, I spent way more time than a, a single person should ever spend just watching elk, you know, from mid September to, to mid October back when I was a, a rifle slash muzzleloader hunter. I just wanted to know everything about them. Why are they doing this? And I would just watch bulls day in and day out. And, you know, some of these sounds that they say mean this, I'm like, but I seen them do complete opposites. You know, when, when he chuckles, that means that he's trying to round the cows up to take them somewhere else. Like, well, I seen a satellite bull come down the ridge and he went and chuckled at him. Like, so some of these things, like it may, it may be, but it could just be his temperament. It could be the way he communicates. It could be, um, so why, like I said, they, these guys have been successful, but I don't know if I necessarily, it's 100% that this sound means this, or this sound means you should do this. Um, it's tough and I don't know if we'll ever figure it out. Can you do, I want you to make a, the bark, a warning bark. But then I also want to ask you like in terms of people are like, Oh, so chuckling is this chuckling means I'm sending my cows. But then you're like, well, I saw a bull chuckle at another bull. So maybe that's not what chuckling means. So do a warning call, but also tell me, have you ever seen, a warning bark used for something besides saying, hey, there's a coyote, hey, there's a dude, hey, I smelled something funny. Hey, man, it's a struggle to find time to manage one's finances. It's a struggle to find time to manage my finances. You go through like a busy week and the last thing you want to do is spend time budgeting you know, your expenses and tracking down customer service teams to cancel old subscriptions you're paying for that you don't use. But now... Use Rocket Money and does all of that for me. I'll tell you this: this happens all the time in our family because like something will come out that we want to watch, and they lure you in with a one month trial, and you're like, oh, you know, I'll do the one month trial, then I'll come back and cancel, then I can watch this whole thing, and then like you don't, you forget about it, and then and then a year goes by and you've been paying these guys twelve bucks all year and never watched a single thing. This finds that stuff and gets rid of it for you. Rocket Money is a personal finance app. It goes in and finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. It helps lower your bills so you can grow your savings instead. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. That's rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Again, rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Spring is a great time to do something with your family. Do some spring cleaning, which I kind of started today outside, planning outdoor activities, which I'm always doing, taking a little trip to Hawaii with your kids for spring break, which I just did, which was great. You know what else you can do for your family this spring? You can shop for life insurance. 
with policy genius. Make that part of your financial planning for the year. I've said it before a, a thousand times. I'll say it again. When my wife and I, when we started having kids, we got serious about life insurance. And man, I felt so much better after we did. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just 292 bucks per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Even if you already have a life insurance policy through work, it may not offer enough protection for your family's needs, and it may not follow you if you leave your job. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. The single most valuable tool I have for chasing turkeys next to my scatter gun is the Onyx Hunt app. If I'm hunting turkeys, I'm using Onyx. If I'm not hunting turkeys, I'm using Onyx. I'm always using Onyx. I live by that stuff. I can't tell you the number of birds this app has put me on by allowing me to easily find new areas to hunt. It's invaluable. I use it all the time. Even properties I know super well. And I'm at my buddy Bubbly Doug's house. I'm using Onyx, and I've hunted this place a million times. With their compass mode, I can pinpoint exactly on the map where a gobble rang out from and then figure out the perfect spot to set up. Meaning, if I'm sitting there, let's say I'm at Bubbly Doug's, I'm in the navel, and I hear, pow, I'll like instinctively pull up Bubbly Doug's place on, on X, and I'll look at the topography, and I'll be like, oh, that sucker must be over in that little opening over there. Waypoints also, and the ability to share them, okay, comes in handy every spring. Whether that's revisiting old waypoints where I've been on birds before or sharing them to buddies to help put them on birds. This app will help you find more turkeys. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you, too. Use code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt this turkey season. So you want me to bugle first? Or do you the, do whatever, or the order, whatever okay. order you want, man. Oh, I hate that noise. I, <laughs> I hate that noise even when you make it. I, I, that's why I was, in the seminars, I'm like, besides a wolf howling, that's about the second least favorite sound I'd like to hear <laughs> in my elk hunting spot uh, with wolves being first. But uh, So that that sound, I probably, I'm more confident in what that means. Uh, they typically, when they smell you, they're gone. You don't even get right. the warning bark. But bark. it's one of these, they've seen something they don't like or they've heard something they don't like. Um, you know, if we're tromping around through the woods and we're cracking sticks, all of a sudden you think you're an elk and you know you get hammered with an alarm bark. I think it's one of those sounds that, and I'm fairly confident in this, that they want you to show yourself at that point. Like we've seen or heard something that doesn't make a lot of sense. We're a little bit worried about it. Come show yourself. And I think that's why in response to that alarm bark, I alarm bark back. Like, well, I heard well, you. you. I heard you or I seen you. You come show yourself. And a lot of times you can at least prolong right prolong her running away or him running away alarm barking the rest of the canyon letting everything know hey there's something weird going on over here but sometimes we've been able to alarm bark and have like the cow come around the tree really you know some stuff that could have potentially saved that if it was a bull or an elk i wanted to kill do you remember oh oh, go ahead i think it can kind of almost confuse them because she is i feel like most of the time it's cows i've heard a couple bulls bark too mostly cows like they're there saying one thing and then when you bark back at them they're kind of like oh what but 
wasn't expecting that. Oh, there's an elk bark, and, and it kind of just like I've seen them not really relax, but like you saying, instead of just like getting the hell out of dodge barking, they sort of just like end up just filtering slowly away, and yep. you maybe haven't blown your cover. You we know? definitely confused whitetails and confused antelope by doing their bark back at them, right? You know. And then they're kind of, yeah, they linger more. Yeah, yeah, they just kind of hang out. It's not necessarily, you didn't save the whole situation, but it gives you a chance. Yeah. But you know what? You remember those, uh, you remember the, the bite and blow, like the primos bite and blow that everyone in the world had, like in the mid 90s? Yep. I think that that was, like enough people had it and it made such a consistent sound every time. I, I'm not joking when I say this. We would blow that. And cows would respond with an alarm bark. Good, yeah, they're, they're like that means one thing. Yeah. That means there's some dudes. <laughs> there's some dudes in the woods, man. Yeah, and that was like we, that was having that experience a couple times of like get all set up, everything's perfect, wind's perfect. Okay, we're gonna call the bull in and hit that meow. You know, on that biting blow, and then it'd be answered by rah, rah. bark back, dude. It set us back. Because, I gotta say before you chime in on this that like I I had that call I might might even be in that Tupperware over there and I could just never master it I could never get it good it was just like it was too finicky you know it was kind of like you never could like these external reads that you make now I mean you can like yeah but, but you got to be good to use them I think people like that because you could be a shitty caller and kind of make a noise but every every shitty caller was making the same shitty noise right and that's I think, the thing it necessarily yeah. wasn't making a good noise yeah. And that's, that's like my dad. He can't, he still can't use my easy estrus. You know, everybody else in the world can, but, uh, he could use the bite and blow. So like Steve said, you throw him one of those. All you gotta do is bite and blow on it and you're, you're good. Bite yeah. and blows are like crossbows, right? <laughs> it's like some dudes being like, man, I don't really have time to figure all this shit out. Yeah. Right. I'm just going to get one of those and yeah, go hack it out. Yeah. I, I ran around with the, I think it was the Loman version, the little green barreled one, the bite and blow. And I, that's what I used growing up rifle hunting just to stop one or, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, you could not change what you sounded like. You sounded like everybody else that had one. Yeah. And they just tune in, especially if you're yeah. in a high pressure area. Yep. But that's pretty interesting, man, that you've, uh, I would never in a million years thought to hit them back with the warning bark. Yep. Yeah. Um, do you guys call it a bark in your, in your we do. neck of the woods? Um, yeah. You know, alarm bark and, We've we've had enough experiences where we've tried to like let's just mew at them and that seems to never work as good as alarm bark. So we've we've experimented like well if we call back to them maybe they just want to hear that there's an elk. It was an elk that made the sound. So if I make a good enough elk sound, they'll the, but it doesn't settle them down as much as the alarm bark. They're so already we, committed to the idea yeah. that something's a myth. Yeah. Man. A funny thing about elk too, I'd be curious to get your perspective on this. Is it seems like like if you picture a group of whitetails, I feel that the hierarchy in a group of whitetails isn't as I'm talking the females. So does like whitetail does. I feel like the hierarchy isn't as rigid as it is with elk. There's more fluidity with the groups because a thing that I found with elk watching elk is there's some elk that you can alert. Like let's say you're putting a sneak in on a group and there's some elk that they, they pick up that something's not right, but no one cares that they think something's (laughs) not right. You're spot on. They got their head up and they're like, bro, I saw something, man. <laughs> I know I saw something. And the other elk are still feeding. Yep. There's some elk, they lift their head up and everyone's head comes up. Exactly. And they're like, something's amiss. Because old Bessie, old Bessie ain't happy. When yeah. she ain't happy, nobody's happy, right? <laughs> no, you're you're exactly spot on. And we've got hundreds, if not thousands of, you know, a calf or a yearling can pick their head up. 
know something's not right. She can run to the front of the herd and nothing cares. But if you get one of those more adult cows, she'll run up, bump that, that lead cow and it's all over. Or if the lead cow sees you, you you don't have a shot, but sometimes these younger cows may not have as much influence. I don't know what it is, but yeah, a calf will pick you up. She'll run circles in the herd, try to get them all. And nobody, you know, none of the other cows care. Nothing, nothing happens. So I think there's no street cred. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I've, I've mentioned this before on the show, but these researchers were doing a thing with monkeys one time where they destroyed a monkey's credibility in his troop by recording his warning cry and playing it all the time. And after a while, when he would do his legit morning cry, no one would pay attention because they gave him the reputation of the boy who cries wolf. That's crazy. And these things had a pretty elaborate language where they would have a warning cry for something on the ground and a warning cry for something in the air. Because there was like some guy, I can't remember what it was, or some, one of their primary predators, their leopards were a primary predator, and there's some just big avian predator. And they would have that noise, and they could make it that people lost their faith where his troop yeah. lost their faith in him. I don't think that probably happens with elk, but they, they haven't earned it yet. Yeah. Or they're like jumpy. Maybe they have a reputation for being jumpy. <laughs> yeah. Know? That old, old Bessie, she's always, she's just a crazy one. She, she didn't see anything again. Because there's nothing that feels better when you're putting the move on something. Well, the, what feels better is not spooking one. But if you're putting the move on something and he pegs you and you freeze and all of a sudden it goes back to feeding. And you're like, oh yeah, man, you know, right, yeah, say yeah, that got lucky. Back in the game, yeah. you know, but they're still in their head. They're still like acutely aware. Yeah. Right. They're still nervous, but you like bought a minute. Yeah. You bought a kind of a second chance, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That lead cow though. There's, there's no, I wish there was a way that you could like tie a big pink ribbon around the lead cow and then she could never be killed. Cause I, around home there's been some bad like the whole herd just loses their sense of who they are or where they're safe and like you see a, like some of our cow seasons where that lead cow gets shot that entire herd is in trouble um from groups of hunters because they just they forget how to be safe whatever yeah, really? the second and so I, that's like my conservation like i wish there was a way we could tie like a pink ribbon around all the herd cows or the you know the, the lead cow's neck and she can't ever be shot because yeah, she like- she controls so much of their safety um they got 20, they got, there's cows out there that have 18, 20 years worth of experience. Yep. They've been through the season that many times. They've been through winter that many times. You wouldn't think, though, because there's got to be, you know, if she's there then with her offspring and the rest of her, there's got to be the next class, right, that's 16 years old. You, you would know? think, yeah, I mean, in that age bracket, but it's it's funny, we've... We've seen it enough around home. It, we, I live in a very small community with a very you know small tree farm in my backyard. The the warehouse are south there in PL, and you know, like in those muzzleloaders or some of the late archery seasons when that herd that lead cow gets shot, it's it's a mess. Like, and then you'll just hear of like six or seven or eight cows that get taken out of that herd just because it's, even though there may be, you know, maybe a cow her same age, older, younger, you know, I don't know how they, that yeah. pecking order is determined, but it's just like, dang, that, that new one wasn't very good at, you know, or the second or third one wasn't very good at keeping them safe. Yeah. Or hadn't, hadn't done it yet. And the other ones haven't paid attention. Yeah. Do you, uh, when you're hunting, are you kind of watching? Do you find yourself watching to try to see who the lead cow is when you're trying to work a group of elk that's got a bull in it? A little bit, like more from afar. When we're in the timber and stuff, getting in close, we eat, you know, it's tough. It's 
tough to figure out which one is because they're kind of spread out mingling um yeah you know yeah until they're yeah. in action or moving but if we if we spot one across the canyon we're definitely paying attention like how much control does she have is she just kind of is she setting the pace uh, how long till they get into the patch of timber where they're going to bed so we'll pay attention to her or is she more just slowly grazing you know a little bit but not a lot to what that lead cow is doing once you're up and you, you, let, let, let's just walk through and say like you're up you, you're doing your locating and lo and behold, not terribly far off, but still far off, you get a reply. What's the next piece of information you want to know? Or like, what's the next thing you do? Um, you know, real quick, I'll look at maybe Onyx maps. Maybe if I can't see exactly where that came from, like, is there a bench down there? What's, what's going on train wise? What time of day is it? It is my, are my thermals switched for good? Am I, if I, if it takes me an hour to get down there and that's when the sun's going to hit the Canyon, am I going to get caught in this wind, you know, this wind swirl? And then where are they going? Is it, if it's right at daybreak, they're probably going to feed, you know, typically for a little bit and then head to bed. So I'm trying to figure out, all right, they're, they're maybe heading this direction. I've got this much time to get there. But first of all, I want to make sure I don't get the wind screwed up. Um, what am I going to have to do to get the wind right? Do I have to scoop under them? Do I need to run down this ridge another 200 yards, go down a finger and then get under them? Um, should I just sit down and wait for an hour for the wind to fully switch and then go straight down on them? You know, it's some of this stuff all kind of time of day. Um, but typically I'm bailing off on every elk I hear. I don't say, Oh, that one sounds like it's not very big. I'm going to just find a bigger one. Yep. I'm going to at least go check with my eyes, um, see what's down there. So we're pretty much diving after every bugle. Um, if that's all I can hear, if I can't yeah, see well, them. Let, let me give you, let me give you a couple like competing scenarios. Okay. okay. Let's do the first, the okay. first scenario will be like the one that I like, the one that I would like least. It's 10 in the morning. It's hot. You rip a bugle. And then from the nastiest patch of black matchstick timber, seems like it's right in the middle of the nastiest patch of black timber. Are you like, man, I'm just going to wait. Or do you think I'm going to go in there and try to work that bull? How Can I get close to the black timber without making a whole bunch of noise? Yep. All right, I'm going to go okay, down. It's, a north, it's, it's like a north-facing slope. And there's a patch of black timber in there that's, I don't know, you know, hundreds of yards tall, hundreds of yards wide. I'm going to go down and sit on the edge. I love killing elk between 10 or 2 when that bull bugles out of his bed somewhere around noon, you 1 do? or 2. Uh, it's, they're very, uh, let, me, uh, let me preface this with, if you're trying to kill that big herd bull. No, so he's trying to kill a bull. Yeah. You don't give it. Let's just, I mean, so yeah, this whole conversation, you don't really okay, give just, a shit. Just any bull. Yeah. I would still go down there and sit on the edge of that herd, wait for him to get up. He will typically, sometime in the middle of that bedding session, get up and check on all of his cows. So if I can get up, uh, you know, get as close as possible to them without spooking them. If it's a jack strawed blowdown mess, I might just say, hey, I need him to come back out of there. I'm not going to make it in. But if I can get somewhat close. I mean, in the timber. Yeah, if I can get close to that edge or where it's, you know, without being a complete mess and making all kinds of noise and, and letting them know I'm there, I'll go down there, sneak in if I can keep the wind right. Like just, sub 200 yards. Yeah, yeah, you know, ideally as close as possible. If I can get to 100 yards, great. But if I can get to 150 and be comfortable there, I'm just going to go sit down and wait. So let's say, you, okay, so you creep down in, you got an uphill wind. There's nice elk trails cutting all through the timber. You start creeping down in there and pretty soon you can just smell them. And it's not the smell of yesterday's elk it's not elk yep. piss it's you smell elk yep like living breathing there now elk and you're like it's got to be that he's 150 yards away what are you thinking then can i can i go any further 
Exactly. Well, how, how much further? It just depends. So uh, we'll, there's a lot of times where we've spotted the cows before they've spotted us. You know, you're, we used to live by an old saying, not so much anymore, but if you're not bumping elk, you're not honey elk, but you don't necessarily want to bump every elk you're trying. So it's, it's not a good saying by any means, but we, we want to, ideally, I want to be within 100 yards. That way, as soon as he rips a beagle out of his bed, I can, I can walk on top of him. He, so you haven't made any noise in a perfect world. You, you ripped a bugle, he located. You're like, I got you pegged. Yep. I don't want to make another sound. I, and and my, now you're 100 yards away from the first cow. He's in there somewhere. You don't know where he is, but you can see a cow's ears sticking up. You still haven't made a noise. Nope. I, 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 in my opinion, if you try to make elk calls in between them, especially if you're bugling, you could maybe make a cow call and get away with it. But if you're trying to bugle to him, you're basically announcing, hey, I'm a big bull that's going to come down. He'll round up his cows, and it's that cat and mouse game from then on. And I've did it so many times where I don't think he wants the risk of a bull coming down in on him. Because so he already what, has what he wants. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's trying to, you know, procreate and, and live and, and that's his two uh you know in september that's all that bull wants to do <laughs> yeah, i'm tracking so i don't want to you know alert him of me coming down he he answered my my locator i was far enough away it didn't mean anything to him he doesn't know i'm coming in um and then i'm just going to sit and wait for him to beagle out of his bed he's going to come check his cows he does not like satellite bulls to bed anywhere close to him so if i rip a bugle at that 100 or 125 yard mark um he's going to come he usually comes and checks you out he does not want you that close to his bedded cows because he can't necessarily see them all at the same time. So he's kind of just trusting that there's, you know, he's getting up checking them. Yeah, um, because they kind of filter into those bedding areas and yeah, everybody takes their, yeah, like, the, you know, if they're in a line or in a little ball going into a bedding area, they don't like march in single file and all line up in there. Yeah. They're, you know, they, yeah. they mingle around and time goes by and they lay down and get up and lay down and move around. And by, yeah. you know, pretty soon they're just, yeah, occupying be, a wide area. Yeah, you can, can wind up down. You can sneak down and realize you wound up in the center of them. Yeah, I mean, you can. This they can bed eighty to hundred yard, you know, in an eight hundred yard circle and just be scattered everywhere. And and you'll notice that when you're just walking through the timber and you're like, yeah, they bedded here last night or two nights ago. And by the time you're done walking up the hill, you're like, they're still bedding. You know, this is that probably that same group. They just they were just spread all out because they were you know pissing the beds. Right. Um, like yeah, they were here last night, but yet they were from down there to up here. They're hundred fifty yards scattered up here. So you so you've gotten where you snuck down, and like I was saying earlier, like you can see some cow ears, or whatever. You're 100 yards away. Can't get any closer because if you get any closer, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna bump one. You're then gonna, so you're saying then you're gonna do another bugle only after he does. I'm gonna let him him lead the game, even if you gotta wait. Yeah, it's it's very tough. I'm not a very patient hunter, especially if I got to sit there for two or three hours. And I'm you know if I've seen the ears, I know I'm on the elk which you could probably get away with a bugle at that point just because he's going to most likely want to come check you out. But in that scenario, I like to let him lead the game off and then I want to walk right on top of him. You know, or bugle as close to right on top of his bugle as possible. I've only killed one bull with a bow. And the one bull I killed with a bow, I did just that. Found a bedded cow. She was 40 yards away. And I sat there and waited. And eventually the, the bull just doing his deal came over and I shot him standing above that cow. Yep. Like basically came up to stand above her just as he's doing his little thing, you know? Yep. Comes in. I have a, I have a video. Well, it, some screenshots off of a video last year when we were in Montana on the, on the land of the free series with born and raised and those guys, um, I spotted, it was a nasty day. We were walking through some black timber, just get to the edge of it. And I'm like, well, there's a cow bedded. We sat there and froze to death for like 15 minutes. But then sure enough, 
middle of the day, that bull, you start to see him working his way through, comes over to the closest cow, bumps her out of her bed, noses her out, and then checks on her. And then that's when I got my shot. Um, yeah, but I think now I got lucky. I think at 15 minutes, I could have been standing there for two hours. You know, I just happened to maybe get lucky. That was his time to, to make his rounds and bump her out and check on her. So let's say you do, how long would you sit in this scenario we're talking about? The, the 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 black timber bedded cow right how long would you sit before you're like okay i'm gonna try something i'm gonna try a cow call i'm gonna try something it, it depends I, I would like to say sitting here that i would i would be comfortable enough until the cows get up and started feeding about so you're not, you're not just i can't believe that you as a dude who like lives and breathes game calls you're not just gonna run in there and start just like meow so meow, i have meow. even though I love game calls, I like killing elk more. And so I kind of know, I kind of know like when to call it, you know, and just kind of let things play out. Um, That's the same thing. You know, one of my best tactics is instead of just calling them in is more of the ambush and call them in a little bit. You know, so you can call an elk in from a mile or I can go get in front of the elk going across the mountain, wait for him, maybe call once or twice and kill him. I'll take the ambush and call all day long if that's what I need to do to be effective instead of saying, oh yeah, I called this bull from a mile away. Like I'm not, I don't need any awards for, I just want to kill that thing. Okay, so you're, so, so you sit there and two hours goes by and eventually he bugles. Then what do you do? I'm going to bugle right back at him. At right that on point. top yeah. of him. Yeah. And, and I'm trying to paint that picture that, you know, I'm really close to your cows. You're over there somewhere. I can't maybe see you. I'm closer to your cow maybe than you are. You better come take care of me or try to run me off. Like, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about that satellite bull and those bulls spending so much time running them off. At this point, he doesn't have the chance to round his cows up and run away from me. He's got to come try to run me off at this point. Like it's, you know, it's came to head at that point. And so you're trying to paint that picture. I'm close to your cow. She's right here. I'm right here. Come run me off. Okay. He bugles. You bugle. He doesn't move. Maybe bugle again. I, this is where it gets tough. I mean, sit, you know, sitting here doing a podcast, it's like, well, are the cows making noise? Can I hear sticks breaking? What's, yeah. you know, there's, a, there's a bunch of this other stuff that comes in and you're like, all right, if I probably bugle again, maybe do some excited cow calling, just kind of see how he responds to that. Did, did that perk his interest? Um, and, and just kind of see see what yeah, he does you, from got, there. You, you need to you need to factor in a ton of things that I can't provide. Yeah, and that's that's where it gets tough. You know, even doing these seminars and doing all this stuff like there so are so many, many variables. There are so many things that come in. You know, I, I you teach this prescriptive thing, but you know, if there was something that takes off up the hill after I beagled, then I'm like, you know, but that cow doesn't. What's going on here? Um, it, there's so many variables. Let me hit you another I, well, one. Oh, but go I ahead, think go the ahead. thing to note here though is that. There's like the guys, and I feel like it's kind of become, this is going to go off on a kind of a tangent, but like Please. you're the guy that like is going to bugle first almost every single time, right? Yep. But there's a lot of dudes, and I feel like that's kind of changed in the last 10 years. So I feel like when I was guiding, like I, there was guys that didn't even carry bugle tubes, and there it was just kind of like, no, you have to call as quietly and as little as possible don't even bring the bugle tube and i almost had to like break out of like and just be like you know what i want to just try yeah i know you guys are saying this thing but i just want to at least go out there and try and like i got good results right but yeah. like speak to a little bit about like why start with you know bugling instead of why start with cow calling so 
As far as like when, on yeah, that like same when, scenario, yeah, like, yeah or, or any. Well, or no, any, no, let me let me hit him with another. Let's. I want to bring it out of him through the scenario. Mm, okay. So <laughs> let, let me try one more scenario because I think that this is going to be a scenario where he's going to where he's going to cow call. If not, we'll just ask. <laughs> when do I cow call? But let me just hit you with another scenario. It's pre morning darkness. You're on a ridge. You know, below us, there's like a nice lush meadow that they've been hitting. Not even light out. You're like, you know, I'm going to see what's going on down there. You rip a bugle, and lo and behold, sure enough, you get a reply. And because of your familiarity with the area, you're like, they're down in that meadow. Yep. I was watching them last night. Now what do you do? So are you going to cow call at all today? I don't know. Right now, the wind's, <laughs> the wind's probably blowing down to them. So I'm either going to try to get out of my spot or get down the creek on the ridge line. That's going to be my first thing. Like, all right, make sure. Like, yeah. you know the wind's washing, yeah, yeah. washing down valley. Yeah, washing down valley, down slope. So I'm going to try to get below them. And whether that means I got to run down this ridge 400 yards and then I'll be safe and angle down in the creek and then come up on them, whatever I need to do. Um, pre-morning darkness, I, you know. Almost light out. Yeah, so you're getting close enough. I'm probably going to try to get to the edge of that meadow and I'm going to be very careful. A lot of guys set up, and I've did this multiple times and I kick myself every time I do it and I'll still do it to this day. I will go set up on the tree that is on the edge of the dang meadow, it, you know, if, if they're not in the meadow and, and try to call them in there because I can, oh, I can see everything. Well, there's that elk will, or that bull, when I'm trying to call it in, will try to get to the edge and, and we've talked about how nature works without us being involved. He'll expect that cow to run across the meadow. Because he should be able to see him, he should be able to see her, and you know we're trying to trick this whole you know uh, glitch the game a little bit. Uh, so I will get try to get wind right on that meadow, and then I will try to walk down the side of the meadow towards the direction he's at uh, on that edge of the meadow, and try to be in the timber a little bit and get off the edge of that meadow, and try you know however these angles work out, try not to call him through that meadow if that makes any sense. Like yeah, I, I want to keep him out of open space because that gives him a terrain break or a vegetation break where he thinks he should be able to see me. Um, on that scenario, I may go in and open up with a few cow calls and just see how he responds um, versus blow him out. If I can get in there, I still want to be close. Uh, I'm going to maybe open up with a, uh, you know, a needy, whiny cow call. Let me hear it. So, and this is one thing we talked about mews, you know, just your, your normal mew. A lot of times when I elk hunt, and people can say whether there's a such thing as an estrus buzz, I use these real whiny, drawn out, up and down cow calls versus like just your cry. Yeah, your estrus whine is what I call it. You know, there's names for everything, but it's more of an up and down, wavy cow call. It's not your perfect cow call, but it's giving us good results. Oh, there's a little waver in there, man. And so we've, we've had seen cows do that uh, multiple times just watching them, and, and that bull will typically always go check on her. It's just that whiny. And we've called yeah, it. I hear that little like, woo, woo, woo. Yeah, yeah, there's a little bit of a flutter. And we've did that in burns where like, it's kind of cool calling in a burn because you can see that elk for so long coming in. But it was almost the more we did that, the faster he would run, the, the slower we would go, the more he would slow down. And we're like, all right, let's just stay on it. Let me hear it again. And I... I'll do it on, this is on the external. I, I use this a lot for this specific call. So it's just that whiny, really? drawn yeah. out, and then it really, really overemphasize that nasally sound at the end. And that call might have, that could be so seductive, so titillating, 
that he would uh, be like, man, I know I got three, four cows out here in my meadow with me, but I'm going to take a mosey over in the woods and see what exactly is up with this newcomer. Yeah, because he's got a pretty good idea where his cows are at. And they're but est- look, in this scenario, do we know there's cows there? No. Right? We've got to say. I, I always go into everyone assuming that there's sure. you know, just assume um, that there's cows. So, but let's say that bull, he's checked on his cows all that morning. He's been with them all night. He knows about where they're at, whether they've already come into the first ester cycle, whether they're close. He's checking on them all. If that for sure thing and she sounds needy and needs some attention, he's maybe willing to go grab her. And I think that's when people say they cow call bulls and that's kind of what they're they're playing on is that you sound needy enough or you're, you know, maybe something he should come check out because he knows his other, you know, six ladies aren't ready yeah. um, for any fun. So he's going to come grab, grab her. And so that's kind of why we, we play that direction. Let me hit you with a, this is just something that came to my mind, but it's not really in order of what we're talking about. Have you found a good rule of thumb or anything helpful to explain to people how to tell how far away a bugle is. I remember we started hunting bugling elk. We would oftentimes think they were much farther away than they were. And in going even to get into the zone, wind up stumbling right through the elk thinking that they had to have been farther away. This is particularly down like big valley bottoms, you know, not where you're like on one slope looking at another slope, but where there's an expanse of there's an expanse of like flat country, timbered flat country or whatever. And you hear a thing. Our early thing was that it's much farther away than it actually is. Is that something that is only learned through experience or do you have a way to explain to people how to tell where a bugle's coming from? I don't even know if experience helps you. I, I just, in 2016, I was in New Mexico. So I'll kind of start. I grew up hunting coastal jungle of Southwest Washington. That's all I knew. Coastal and, rainforest. Yeah. So you have, you are chocked full dense. Um, and, and, and in that scenario, that's kind of where I learned how far elk were. Uh, they were typically closer than, than you thought in that scenario. Um, so we kind of got good at judging that until that elk turns 180. If he bugles at you and if he turns 180 degrees and bugles back at his cows or up the hill the other way, I don't care how good you are. You, you, he sounds like he's double the distance or half the distance. Yeah. You think there's two bulls sometimes. Yeah. And I'm like, so that is always going after you. And, and back to the turkey thing, a lot of elk bulls that we call in, especially when you're trying to pull them from their cows, they do that strut zone. They come towards you hundred yards, they bugle and they will go back. And then you may do, may get them to pull back again, but they will never get past that point. And so you've got this basically elk on a track that's running hundred yards. And so you're trying to judge, you know, whether he's facing you, whether he's hundred yards away. And then in 2016, my eyes really got opened up. I went down to New Mexico and uh rolly juniper country and uh, being a seasoned elk hunter, I thought, oh yeah, this elk's right around the corner. And we chased bugles for miles. I, you could hear a bugle for two miles away, plain as day. And I got, we got our butts kicked. I mean, I would say butts kicked from a standpoint that we went a lot further on every bugle we heard versus like, dang, this thing should be a half mile away. No, got this it. thing's two miles away. Just the vegetation difference. Yeah, just the vegetation. The quality of the air too, the moisture in the air. Yeah, if, if you know, of course, elevation always helps. If that thing's just sitting up on a point high enough where he can project down that valley, um, we, there were a couple times and we looked at it on GPS, like we could be at this water tank and we got, 
we we heard this bull bugle, went up there, called him in, and he was a mile and a half away on the GPS. You know, it's just crazy. Wow. Giannis is much better than me at uh, telling where a gobble or a bugle is coming from. I don't know if it's like a quality of ear thing, right? Like I've been exposed to a lot of like the noise, but he just is more like I would trust his opinion about was where it was better than my opinion about where it was. Yeah, we. We've been walking down a trail, get a bugle, you know, hunt with maybe two or three guys and all three of us point 120 degrees in different directions. Like, oh boy, we're going to need another one. At least we need at least two people, you know, convinced that it's a certain direction. They're just, it's crazy sometimes depending on what you were looking at, yeah. where your head was when they bugled and we're all like that way. And just slight, a slight roll. If that elk is just over that roll, you know, like even like here, we're sitting next to this gully. That bull will probably sound louder if he's across the gully on the other side than if he's down in the bottom just 50 yards below us, just yep. because of that, how that sound's going to travel to your ears, you know? Yep. Here's another scenario for you. But it's different. You give me your best scenario. Give me the scenario where you're like, I'm going to kill this bull. Just... A satellite bull feeding on an open hillside first thing in the morning. <laughs> really? Like I have a lone bull oh. feeding by himself first thing in the morning. Well, you you said we weren't just killing herd bulls anymore. So no, if no, I because we only have so much time, yeah, right? So yeah. I just want to focus it on yeah, no, just elk. If I if I've got a, a semi mature, maybe three and a half to six and a half year old, maybe three and a half to five and a half year old bull just feeding first thing in the morning by himself. By himself, wind coming downhill, and I'm below him. I'll take you're that. You're feeling cocky. I'll take that. Okay, yeah. tell me how you're going to work that bull. I'm just going to paint the picture for me. As long as his eyes can't pick me out, um, if I can move using you know terrain or vegetation to get within, even him, I don't even got to get that close now because he's- You're down below him. Yep. Wind's coming down because yep. the day first, hasn't heated up first yet. First thing in the morning. I've, I, I know from maybe hunting the area a day or two before, the sun's not going to hit this drainage until you know, another two hours. I've got plenty of time. Um, I just want to get two, three hundred, even maybe four hundred yards away from this bull and just cow call him in. I won't even touch my bugle. So then you're not worried about getting a hundred yards away. No, I, I can. I know from past experience that we can pull that thing with a lot of heavy, sexy cow calls from a lot further away. Okay, so give me the. Uh, so, so there you are. You're down in the creek bed, but it's an open slope, and you're looking up, and you can just see him working around feeding. Yep, and I, I three hundred yards up the hill, and I want to be able to see him if I can see him. And see how he reacts to the calls, the better. Right. What I, does that happen with first? Do you start heavy duty or you just take his temperature first? I'll probably just some light cow calls, just see how he responds. Let's hear it. Once he, uh, once he gets going, then I'll, I'll probably pick it up. So this is the first noise out of your mouth. And just maybe those two. And then you watch him. Just watch him. He's most likely going to pick his head up. And then his next step's either going to be go back to feeding or he's going to turn and come down towards me. Once he turns and comes down to me, and I don't want to be cocky, but at that point, I would say we have a 99.9% .9 chance he's, he's, he's going to come. Hold on. Okay, when do you feel that it's 99%? Once he takes that first step in your direction. So if he was feeding left to right and he goes from straight down the hill, um, I would be pretty confident that at least we're going to get a shot at him What's your cockiness level just seeing him? I, I, I prefer confidence. <laughs> so confidence level. At yeah, you just, okay. It's 50, just, 50 yards. Um, it, it, I'll just set that. At 50 yards, I'm going to say we got a 90% chance that he. No, 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 no. I'm saying like when he's still 300 yards up the hill. But you know, like, like you know for absolute, you know it might, it might not be possible in real life. Let's just say you knew for absolute certain that that is a lone bull by himself. 
and the wind's right and you're 300 yards below it and it's and we and we know that it's the rut are you thinking man there's a you know before i even touch this call i'm saying there's a blank percent chance that that bull's gonna step in my direction 90 oh really if i can see him from across the canyon know he's all by himself um feeding uh, and i would say that number is pretty similar even because a lot of times these satellite bulls will kind of herd up together and hang out I would say even if you have a group, it's still probably 85%. One of them or two of them are going to break off. Really? Yeah. Maybe the more mature out of those two, or if there's a couple that are maybe a little bit better than the spikes or the, the, you know, the two and a half year olds, uh, typically those bigger ones in the group will break off and come towards you sometimes together. So let's say you're on a glass and knob or just a ridge. And on one side, down one side of the ridge, you've got, and all these bulls are the exact same size in this scenario. They're all the exact same size. But on one side of the ridge, you've got 20 cows. There's seven bulls. Everybody's going bananas. Okay? On the other side of the ridge is just the same bull, but he's just hanging out feeding. You're like, I'm going to go work that bull. Now you're really playing with the reason I elk hunt. <laughs> so you've got all that action on the one side, and that's what I'm here for. So now I need to weigh, is killing the bull more important or am I here for that, that action? To throw in So with that's, that's where it gets really tough. Now you've kind of split me down the middle because even though I love, I love filling the freezer full of elk meat, it's, you know, that's what I came out here for. I also come out here for something a little different like that action. Like you're like, I want to go in and throw in with that group yeah, and, and yeah. get involved. And so even though I know there's probably better, well, that many bulls running around with 20 cows, there's still going to be a lot of action. You're probably going to have a chance, but that, that satellite bull is going to be pretty... Well, pretty, pretty good odds. Right. And, and then you have the 50 sets of eyes versus the one set of eyes. Yeah. You know, that always helps. But you're seduced by the action. It is. It's, it's, uh, and the learning experience and everything. Yeah. So I'm, I'm probably bailing towards the bugles just because it's going to be funner. I can go down there and bugle a little bit more. And, and then I'm also thinking in the back of my head, like, I screw this up. I can go after that one later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll find him tomorrow. Yeah. Man. Oh, uh, or eventually he's probably going to come on over to the join the party yeah. anyways. Give me another. Okay. Now, uh, hit me with, this is make your own scenario. Um, hit me with a, a great scenario that involves cows. Cow calling or just- no, this involves like, cause you're saying like, okay, it's a bull, two, three bulls, whatever, no cows around out feeding. So let's say it is that it's, it's a big herd bull. He's got five cows seems to have some like spike in the mix, seems to have some raghorn bull in the mix who are kind of pestering them. What, what is the moment throughout the day or the moment when you're like, now's my, like if I'm going to make this work, I'm going to make it work when X happens. I want to catch them. If I can, the most optimum time, if I can catch them when they're going through from feed back into their bedding cover, I want to be somewhere in that 100 to 200 yard range of the cover. So they just come out of maybe feeding in an open meadow and an old burn and an avalanche shoot, whatever that area is their feed, and they're going back to bed. I would love to catch them in that 100 to 300 yards inside like that waiting, timber. You're waiting in there. That's where that ambush slash, uh, you know, a little bit of calling comes in. Like, all right, I've watched them this morning. It was right at daybreak. I had an hour and a half to get up. I know they're going to feed in about on contour. They're going to go to that bench. You know, I'm, I'm drawing all this up in my mind where I think they're going to go. If I don't have any past experience, I'm going to go sit right there, uh, 100, 200 yards inside that timber and wait for them and just do some real minor calling. When you hear them, see them? See them, hear them, 
you know, I'm pretty impatient, so I might start to move around a little bit, you know, trying to figure. Hopefully, ideally, that bull's maybe making some sounds on his own the more, you know, in the morning. If not, uh, you know, I might let a cow call it here or there if I kind of think I lost them or they should be here by now. I got you. you I know. feel like the cows a lot of times you get that sort of like tea party almost. We used to always call it when they're leaving that big like meadow. Boston tea yeah. party, hey. not like the not like the tea party. No, like a bunch of like uh, gals at a tea party just yakking, oh, yakking away, talking throwing, over each throwing other. Throwing tea into Boston Harbor <laughs> or electing right of center anti-establishment politicians or neither of those two people I'm drinking sorry, tea I, at I a should, party should have been uh, <laughs> should have been more clear but almost like a cacophony and really a lot of sometimes there's not even that much bugling but those cows yeah. are just as they're moving up towards bed you know they're just yep. you know going off and i love to have calves in the herd like if i can look cross i got right. two or three calves like oh, them little noisy suckers are gonna let me know they're coming oh yeah. is that, yeah, they're, they're pretty vocal especially the moms once they start moving like that yeah the the moms will talk to them because they're not always right next to each other and so there's a lot of you know, cow to calf communication. Just as they move, they start their journey back to bed, and they'll they'll be pretty vocal. Let me hit you with another scenario. This isn't to make your own. I'm giving you this one. All right, okay. Whatever the hell happened, you have your morning hunt. Gets all hot. You just know nothing's gonna happen. You're headed back toward camp. You're passing through a timber patch. Okay, unfamiliar terrain, and all of a sudden surprises you. But all of a sudden, a hundred yards off, down below you, in the timber a bugle. So you have no context. You have no idea. Just you don't know what way it's going. It all you don't own. know who it's with. You don't know anything. I'm going to start that one with cow calls. Right where you Just, stand. Yeah. See if he answers back to that. He might ignore me. Or at least where's he at on cow calls? Is that going to, is that going to work? Um, you know, hundred yards away, I should be able to hear some sticks breaking if I can't see him. Um, if he's coming towards me, um, if he doesn't respond, a lot of times they will come in silent too. So you gotta, you know, like, ah, can I hear sticks? Uh, but I'm going to start that one with a cow call. Um, I, I figured on those, I don't have a whole lot to use, uh, lose, uh, if he doesn't answer. So maybe five, 10 minutes if nothing develops or I, I can't hear anything moving. I might just do a little weak little bugle, just something knowing he can hear it cause he's close. Um, just trying to get a response so I can kind of engage whether he went the other way, whether he was in his bed, if he's still in his bed, yep. did he move towards me? Let um, me hear the cow calls and let me hear the light bugle. Oh, just a real nice real, little light little, you know. Knowing that he can hear it. Um, you know, when you're trying to locate, I'm trying to be the, you know as loud as possible to kind of hit as many ears. But yeah, just, just something really kind of in the middle, not getting really high. Just how's he going to respond to that? But that's your softest cow call. No, that's a, that's a fairly heavy uh, bugling read. We've got some really light, some really light. Make sure I get it. So that's the other thing. I hunt with one call. So the, the, really my, I, this is my personal call and I use it for almost everything. What's I grab one called. This is the Phelps signature. So it's just, and that's what you've been ripping the bugles on. Well, I've been using the Maverick as well too. So those are the two that I, I typically use. Um, but mine's a little bit softer on the cow call. See, I don't think of that as a soft cow call, man. So I guess, I mean, it, who am I to say, but that strikes me as like a, that's a cow call. It, it I mean, we can go really soft, but. By the time you're trying to call through the, the trees and the vegetation, if you got somebody like, you know, we've called a lot for our buddies and like, dang, them things get drowned out pretty quick. We're but not you near as loud. You hear cows just making like, you hear cows just making the slightest little sounds. 
Yeah. <laughs> it depends. You know, that's not really in your hunting repertoire, though. Not the calls that I make. I, I will, I'll never argue they don't make them. Um, you yeah, know, no, they, that's what they, saying, they make like, subtle, For you as a hunter, you yeah, don't need that. Yeah, call. I don't. I don't use it. Um, I will calf call, which is more of that high pitched chirp. If I'm trying to communicate let me hear, with let the me calf, hear, let me hear your uh, what a calf. Okay. So they don't really have they don't really have the deep part to their call. It's just more of that high pitch uh, shut off. Um, we'll, we'll cal- I'll calf call a little bit, but yeah, most of my cow calling is loud. Uh, and during September, it seems w- they will communicate softly, but a lot of times, you know, the, the whole tea party or when they get going, they're fairly loud, obnoxious. Like, yeah, you know, they got those loud, drawn out cow calls, and they get going, and it's like, well, that's why I want to. I want to be one of them. Um, right. And so we yeah, try to. I got you. Like last year, the the bull that my wife called in, uh, my there were probably 40 cows in that herd with a couple different bulls and then the, the one larger bull. And when they got up to feed that we kind of shadowed them the whole morning or the, the evening, excuse me. And they started to come up. They, they just started going and it sounded like a thousand, you know, different elk going off because it was bouncing off the walls and they were all doing loud, loud. It was, it was pretty impressive. Just the amount of sound and noise and volume uh, that group of 40 cows could make. It's like, as many cow calls and as fast as they could go, they were they were letting them fly. That makes me want to hit you with another scenario. <laughs> okay. You hunt all morning, right? You're all dejected. Nothing happened. You get into a shady spot. You decide to have a... It's 11 a.m. You decide to have a sandwich, okay? You decide to take a little nap. You're fighting the urge to go home. Everything sucks. And all of a sudden, you're a bunch of sticks snapping rocks rolling and for whatever the hell reason off to your side a ways here comes just a herd of elk you can't tell are they spooked are they what what's going on but they're just kind of bam, rumbling down the hillside maybe they got bumped maybe whatever i don't know maybe the bulls harassing them they're gonna pass out of range do you just watch them go and be like huh that was interesting <laughs> or do you be like i'm gonna make some kind of crazy play Did you know Rocket Money can cancel a subscription for you? They'll even alert you when there's been an increase in a subscription price and negotiate rates for you. I can see my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with just a few taps. You wouldn't believe how many people are paying for subscriptions they don't use. This happened to me. It's annoying. This helps you find it out and get rid of it. Well, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions and monitors your spending and helps lower your bills so you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. That's rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. The single most valuable tool I have for chasing turkeys next to my scatter gun is the Onyx Hunt app. If I'm hunting turkeys, I'm using Onyx. If I'm not hunting turkeys, I'm using Onyx. I'm always using Onyx. I live by that stuff. I can't tell you the number of birds this app has put me on by allowing me to easily find new areas to hunt. It's invaluable. I use it all the time. Even properties I know super well. And I'm at my buddy Bubbly Doug's house. 
I'm using Onyx, and I've hunted this place a million times. With their compass mode, I can pinpoint exactly on the map where a gobble rang out from and then figure out the perfect spot to set up. Meaning, if I'm sitting there, let's say I'm at Bubby Dugs, I'm in the navel, and I hear, pow, I'll like instinctively pull up Bubbly Doug's place on, on X and I'll look at the topography and I'll be like, oh, that sucker must be over in that little opening over there. Waypoints also and the ability to share them, okay, comes in handy every spring. Whether that's revisiting old waypoints where I've been on birds before or sharing them to buddies to help put them on birds. This app will help you find more turkeys. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you, too. Use code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt this turkey season. Rain or shine every day is a great day for fishing, right? And you probably got rain gear, but you shouldn't overlook sunny day gear. Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite Hoodie has you covered on the sunniest day. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting in to go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on and having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. I mean, who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish? But why do it if you don't have to, especially when this Solar Stream Elite hoodie is built with broad spectrum UV protection? We're talking UPF 50 and it has airflow. So you don't overheat. And what's the alternative? Putting down the rod every half hour so you can slather on some sunscreen. Seems like an easy choice to me. So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head on over to Columbia.com slash PFG and shop all of their performance fishing gear. I might try to cow call, slow them down, but I'm not going to necessarily chase that herd as they run away. You know, if they if they were just passing through fairly quickly, um, we'll just kind of let them go, but and just log log in your head where they went. Yeah, yeah. Though you know, was able to see what was there. Could you know? I might try to get up, grab my bow, and release, and and cut them off. Maybe to have a shot if there is a bull there I want to kill. But you know, if they're moving like that, it's going to be tough. Uh, you know, tough to call them in because they they're going somewhere. They they've been scared by something, or you know, there was a predator or a human, or it's going to be tough to call them in. Okay, let me hit you with one more. Then you can hit me with a scenario if you want. It's evening time. It's your last day of the hunt, okay? And there's just a gigantic open sage flat, very open, and just out in the middle of this thing. Like a thousand yards across. Yeah. And out in the middle of this thing is a couple bulls, a bunch of cows, and they're just happily feeding away. With a rifle, you'd be loving. Yep. But they're not going anywhere. They're going to be out there till morning. It's your last night. You can't, it's not really plausible to do a good sneak on them. And you got, you're like, I don't know. I got to try, I got to try something. I can't just let this, right? I can't just let this yeah. one pass. And it's all you got last night. Yeah. And you can't get 300 yards away without, uh, you can't get 300 yards away without spooking them. You're going to have to just, I mean, you're going to have to try to call them in. See, it's just that, you know, take their temperature as soon as you let that first, uh, probably cow call, really loud cow calls if they're 300 yards away. What's your percent chance? Not good. <laughs> 10. <laughs> oh, really? Under 10. So you're just like, I don't know. Um, I'm pretty. Under 10. 
Yeah, I'm not liking my odds on this one, but you got to yeah. try something. Yeah, yeah. Um, unless you got enough time left in the night to go find go something spot. else. Yeah, I was going to say. So, so I, if I'll, you had enough time to go find something else, you might be like, well, I'm probably going to try to screw this up as fast as possible to get and, out of and, then, and then go find something else. That way I say at least I gave it a shot. Yeah. Um, that's tough. Uh, I usually like to, to put, and maybe I shouldn't put a number on it, but I'm pretty confident that in the mountains and normal hunting, I'm going to get it to at least see. 75 to 85 percent of the bulls i hear you know at a fairly close range maybe not all within archery range but i'm going to see them in the timber like at a point where i've called them into a spot or i've snuck into a point something like that like i'm going to be i'm probably going to see them at the closest point i'm going to see them as they're walking away like i'm not going to probably turn that bull i'm not going to get him to turn but around. you'd hit it with a cow call probably just see what he see if something crazy happens yeah and, do you always with every group you work with every group elk you work are you like, I'm either going to call it or spook it? Or do you sometimes just say like, I'll, I'll find you tomorrow? So I'm not a, I'm a, how, what's the quote? I'm a, I have a trophy hunter's mentality with a meat hunter's trigger finger. Yep. And so I, I just want to kill elk. But there have been a couple occasions when the headgear has gotten me to a point like I'm not going to screw this one up yet. I've got 10 days left in season. This bull is a giant. I'm going to give him one more, you know, or a couple more chances before I blow him out of the country into a different drainage, into a spot he's not familiar with. Um, that's always bad. Sometimes I would rather hunt a bull after I spook it so he's not as comfortable in his surroundings. Uh, but most of the time I'm going to bump him. Um, and a lot of times when we bump him, they haven't, they haven't necessarily smelled us. In my opinion, them smelling us is our, we've kind of screwed that up for a while. Is but that if they, right? If they just see us or hear us, um, I'd rather them see me personally walking towards them than to smell me. That's what I, that's the thing I've said to people a lot is like, I feel that they, they don't always trust their eyes and they don't always trust their ears, but they always trust their nose. Yep. And, and even their ears. So like, well, you call to them a specific way. Like my buddies, they can all tell if it's me calling. I can tell which one of my buddies is calling. We all have our own little unique style. And I'm always like, Yo, can they tell? Like, do I need to switch calls? Do I need to switch my style? Because I was calling to them that way last night, and then they seen you know me walking through the woods with my bow and my pack towards them. Like, did they associate my calling with that? So if we go get on them again, do we need to switch? Uh-huh. I don't know if I'm smart enough, or like I, we will just because we have a different call. Or they say, hey, I, I was shooter last time, but we're going after the same group. I'll call you shoot this time, just to give them a little bit different of a style. But I also believe if you sound enough like an elk and, and a quality enough sounds, then does it really matter? Because elk always are going to sound like elk. So can you can you fool them again the next day? And we have, um, but I would just assume going with a little bit different sound. Do you guys ever, uh, you and your buddies, do you guys ever tag team on calling? We is do. It, is that advantageous? Especially when the, the whole, the, the multiple cows get going and they're creating some excitement and we feel like we're losing some excitement to what the bull already has. We'll, we'll get going back and forth um to pick it up we don't do the primo style like guy drops 100 yards back calling style though because the way we hunt that caller which is now the the elk so to speak is now 200 yards away from this bull and that might give him the chance to leave dodge because the elk he thinks there isn't a threat that bull will maybe round his cows up and leave so a lot of times that caller is right on my hip and it gives us a chance to communicate like, hey, I can see something he can't like stop bugling, right. stop cow calling well, if he's 100 yards back. Um, you know, I, I love all the truth videos. I watched them all 100 times, but the way that we have to hunt on public lands isn't the same as they got to hunt on the Hill Ranch. 
Um, yeah, you know, that's a funny thing, man, because I was talking to a guy last night, a buddy of mine, and he was talking about this, this world record elk, and it was like, everybody knew it was there, and he'd filmed it. Eventually, a guide finds it. It's hiding out in some private land hidey hole. They call a client on the phone. He books a trip to come out. It's like, that's all great and good, but that's not reality, man. Yep. You know what I mean? It's just not reality. Yeah, that's that's called cash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and yeah, so we as much as I love those, it's just sending the sending the caller way back has just never worked well for us. A lot of times, and, and to this day, my buddy Charlie did call me in a bull, but to this day, I've still called in every bull I've shot. Like I've never, and when we do call for each other, we're usually right in each other's hip pockets, um, and it's it's really to create that that. Uh, that threat to that bull like i'm here i'm on top of you i'm on your cows you have to come you guys are you guys are you're like bugling so much more yeah which is why you probably have to maintain that yeah we're pressure distance if we had to put a number i know steve loves numbers like if i had to put like a no 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 man i don't no if i had to put a (laughs) (laughs) i'm like 90 percent beagles 10 percent cow calls kinds of people (laughs) 90 percent beagles from the day i leave the truck to the time i get back in september to 10 percent cow calls i would say probably represents you rip nine bugles for every cow call for every 10 cow calls Yep, 90, 90 to ten, nine bugles for everyone. Cal- Especially when we're located. Oh shit, really? I mean, we may let it. Maybe I'm a little off on my numbers. I might cow call just to say I did before I rip a bugle. <laughs> but usually, I'm going to maybe cow call twice from a spot, and then I'll rip. A, I really want to locate from this spot. And are you? Do you mostly hunt in high pressure areas? High pressure units. I try to get into some areas within those high pressure units, maybe that don't have as many people. Um, the spot we, you know, we. We hunt Idaho. We hunt. I don't. I haven't hunted Washington for a while now. Uh, Montana. We hunt a lot. We're in units where there's lots of people down by the road. But if we get two or three miles in, we're typically fairly alone. But you might run into a hunter or two or a, a sure, set of man, boot yeah. tracks here or there. But um, there's a lot of hunters around, and these elk may have been called too. But it's yeah. If there are a lot of hunters, I might not locate bugle as much. Uh, and that's one of those other things. Just like you're drawn in hunters. Yeah, you can't even factor in. Like if you're in a high pressure area, like do I tone my location beagle back? Because you know, some everybody within two miles can hear me up on this ridge line, and I don't necessarily want everybody on my ridge line, you know, or I say mine or on the ridge line at the same time I am. So you're like, well, maybe I just cow call the locator. Maybe I, mm-hmm. I, I tailor back or or cut back my location beagle so not everybody knows I'm here, or. Do you get into a pass on a ridge line? There's been elk here. Like I'll start to pick my points a little bit more wisely. Like, all right, I can smell them. I can see their tracks. We'll beagle from here, but then I might not beagle until I'm out at the end of the ridge next. We had a time hunting, me and my brother, where we were hearing this bull just going nuts. But it was like the one road in the area, and it was like calling from the road, the ridge that the road is on. And I'm like, dude, that's a guy, you know? And we argued about it and argued about it. And he's like, that's an elk. I'm like, it's a guy. And then he, let's just go. So we start walking down the road and pretty soon walked into a group of elk. Yep. I, it can be hard to tell, man. I take a lot of pride just because of, of how you own the call company. I don't ever want to get called in by somebody. And there's been, a, there's been multiple times where I was about ready to bail. And my buddy's like, let's just hang it out a little bit. We could, they won't know who we are. We could sneak out of here. And sure enough, we call a bull or a whole herd in multiple times. And so now I'm a little more likely to hang it out. Like, well, you're, you're like pri- even you could be fooled. Yeah, your pride might be hurt a little bit, but is it, is it really worth you know risking not getting a chance at this bull because you think it's a person? So yeah. I'd, I'd rather I'd rather hurt my pride a little bit. Than but to, you 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 generally know. Yeah, you do, and 
And uh, I've called a ton of bulls in with my Primo's Terminator too. But like now, if I hear that thing, you know, flute across the canyon, like I know exactly what that is. You it know might, the make and model. Yeah, it may still it may still fool a bull, but I I can I can pick a Primo's Terminator out, you know, almost anywhere at any time. Um, even most people call it that are even some that are good on diaphragms. Like there's just some things they can't mimic. Even I can't mimic from a real bull, like the depth, the gut, the guttural sound. If you listen closely enough, sometimes you're like, ah, it's a person. Um, but then there's some really bad sounding elk that, that sound bad and they're, they're real. So it's just tough. It's tough to pick out. Uh, we try to spend all this time sounding as good as we can, but in reality, the elk are a lot of times worse than, yeah. worse than what we think you're supposed to They're sound bad like. Callers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what uh, what's your uh, I don't know if you got one or two or three or whatever, but like your deathbed elk tips, like your elk tips that sum it all up. Where you're saying like, man, if I could tell you one thing or two things that are just generally applicable <laughs> around elk calling. What would it be? Okay, I'll give you three. Okay. Um, first is setup. I get the chance, and I, I, I call it the fortune of listening to a lot of bad elk hunters. Uh, you know, in the position I'm in, like, hey, your calls were awesome. I called these bulls into this, and then I didn't get a shot. So number one, when you set up, whatever direction that bull is going to come from, make sure when he shows himself, either through vegetation or if it's on a terrain break coming up the hill to a plateau, make sure you're within bow range of where that break terrain or vegetation's at to make sure that you get a shot that's your setup that you need so many people can do everything else right but so many i think fail on this setup they want to set up in a pile of brush or they want to set up 100 yards away from this spot and and as we talked in reality that bull is going to get to that spot say that i should be able to see you somewhere out here and he is going to stop and that is that hold up position it's funny because that was my my dad's like big elk story he's from michigan but he went out to colorado to do an elk hunt with my older half brother and they had a bull working and he said, I never thought about the fact that I had to shoot the bull and he climbed into a tree, not into a tree, but like nestled into a tree and the bull came 10 yards away and he realized that that's the thing he forgot. Yep. He has to be able to shoot his bow. <laughs> you jump in a pile of brush, you realize you got 25 inches of arrow sticking out front. You got a stabilizer sometimes. And if that thing doesn't come where you want, you got to try to swing in there and you got your elbow, your pat getting hooked on brush. It's just, so yeah, set up. I set up out in the open, let, let the, you know, the terrain break me up behind, but really just get close to that, that terrain break um, I, or I, vegetation break. I got burned. It's funny. Nothing like mule deer hunting in Nevada two years ago. I got where I had these bucks coming up and I'd snuck in on them and I had a, and I was up against the bush and I committed where I had my bow on one side, right? Didn't get a shot and they passed through, but then they're super close and there was no way without doing major movement to be able to get my bow <coughs> to the <laughs> other side of that and trying to do it spooked the bucks. Yep. And I just had, I was like, I'm a hundred percent in on this angle <laughs> and I'm a hundred percent out on every other angle. Yep. Or just stupid stuff as a right-handed guy. I can't turn to my right at all, right? We can't. And there's been multiple times where like you expect the bull to go to the left and he goes to your right and you're like, uh-oh, like I'm going to have a lot of movement here because I got to actually now move my feet around. He's at 25 yards because I can swing way back to my left and still shoot with decent form. But to my right, I'm like, you know, yeah. you're, you're stuck. And uh, so all of that on setup, like I stuff I used to not think about until it cost me a lot of times. Yeah, you you're like, keep adding to the setup thing forever, but... 
my little tidbit on that is that we used to see a lot of guys like they want to crouch and get low. And like you're saying, people would get like inside of like the branches of a fir tree. I'm like, dude, how are you ever going to get your bow drawn back? But I think a big thing is always stay on your feet. Yep. Don't kneel. Don't crouch down. Like just trust that your camera is going to work. Stay on your feet because that just gives you so much more like uh, you can take a step and that yeah. might be that gets you the six inches for the window you need. Right. Yeah. yeah. And if you're on your knees, you're not doing that. Just, you know? Do you always stay on your feet? I do. I, I was just getting, I, somebody asked me the other day, um, on in a seminar, like how many I've killed one bull off of my knees, um, out of however many I've, you know, 30 plus bulls I've killed, you know, archery. I've, I've been on my knees like one time. Um, and that was ended up being like a six yard shot. And the only reason I killed him off of my knees, I wasn't supposed to be the shooter. I kind of carved my buddy. I was calling the bull in for him. He got to like four yards of my buddy, but had him pinned. And you could tell by his actions, he was going to get nervous and leave. And I'm like, well, I'm only eight yards away and I've got a bow and I've got a tag. So I actually knocked my arrow with him eight yards away and as the cameraman shot him. But, uh, that's the only one I've ever killed off of my knees. And that's because it was an accident. So you're like making a little sacrifice on, hiding in order to get an advantage in mobility and, and good shot form. Yeah. But I, and this is the goofiest rule ever. I don't ever look at elk in the eye. As long as you don't look at elk in the just eye. Just one of your three tips. No, this is, this is my, this is, this is, this is, bo- this, is still, this is bonus. Don't look them in the <laughs> eyes. Like it, I've never had an elk pick me out as long as I haven't looked them in. It seems like you make an eye connection and something weird happens and they know. But if I keep my brim and my hat down, I've never been picked off by an elk. I mean, I know they're smart. They can see good. But in that setup, like as long as I don't move and, and like make eye, kind of, eye contact with them, we're good. Yeah. Um, number two is if you're struggling, um, don't don't commit to, to spot number eight, you know, Google Earth, Onyx Maps. And don't be afraid. It's kind of a combo. Get out and use the nighttime to uh, night locate. Everybody wants to be in bed, eat dinner. The magical hour, if you cannot get something going, go out and bugle from 10 o'clock to midnight somewhere in your unit. And I guarantee you, you have a play or two or three or four for the next morning. Um, everybody's, I'm like, Hey, I'd much rather take a nap under a tree from 10 to noon. If nothing's going on, right. save my energy, eat dinner, and then either go drive around, go hike a ridge out, go hike a trail and just rip bugles from 10 to 12. And I guarantee 10 a.m. to midnight, no, 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 10, 10, 10 at night. Oh. So night, bu- so t- I'm going to take my nap in the midday instead of hunt to, to make sure I'm not tired, but I'm going to go bugle from 10 at night to maybe midnight. Yeah, I got you. So you'd, you'd rather sleep 10 a.m. to noon in order to make up for the fact that you're out bugling. 10 p.m. Yep. to midnight. Uh, make sure when you get one to respond, do not resist the urge to keep bugling and getting him to sound off. <laughs> Just it's <laughs> nice. It you cannot do anything about it. You know he's there. He's nobody else is crazy enough to be you out bugling at night. You've got him located. Typically, he will be within four or five hundred yards max of that area. He's usually out to feed. Then um, he'll be there in the morning. Um, it gives you a for sure play. Make because we only got so many days and mornings. You want to make sure you have a play every morning and, and almost every night. So that guarantees I'm at least on an elk that that next morning. Okay. Um, was number, that a side tip or a tip? That was my that was one of my tips. Like okay. it's not necessarily a you know a do this, but it's something that everybody should be doing unless you're just covered up in bowls all day long. Then there's no need to do it. Uh, number three, it, it all comes down to wind. Um, on, we're back to setup, and and this is really where. Yeah, I set up an approach. Yeah, I think everybody fails in that setup, but the wind, we always get the wind right. And if you have the wind perfect on your nose, that bull is typically going to come in straight on. If you can use the wind as a steering wheel to help yourself out. So if I have the wind that hits, say, my cheek, 
a 30 or 45 degree angle. I still got plenty of, of conservancy built into my setup, but I'm now just guaranteed that if I'm facing the bull, the wind's hitting me in the right cheek, that that bull's now going to come to my left. And we'll sometimes... Because he wants to circle downwind. He wants to get wind on you. And so by do, a lot of times we'll even make a call and then move a little bit. So we'll make a call and then move into the wind. So we know that he's going to basically J-hook or you know half moon right into us. Um, so that's something in the setup. Or if you have a caller, say that same wind's hit my right cheek. If that caller backs up maybe just 15 yards to my, to my uh, you know, 4 o'clock, my 3.30 from where I'm located, he's going to drag that bull right into me. Now, albeit we can't control whether that bull wants to make a 150-yard circle, 100-yard circle, or a 50-yard circle, you know. Um, it's, it still may not be enough, but I can at least guarantee that bull, well, guarantee most of the time um, that that bull is going to come broadside through my shooter's location, you know, um, just for setup. And that's going to help a lot of times because I honestly think a lot of hunters out there, they've got the locating down there in good areas. They can do everything right. They can even call decent enough to call these things in. They just fail at the setup. And, and you hear these story after story, like, yeah, hey, we had just everything nuts. I just couldn't get a shot all year. And, and Kept think, calling bulls and yeah, shot. yeah, either hangups or just stuff's not working. And so I, I really think it comes down to that setup and then using the wind to get them to a spot where, where you can get a shot. Any last thoughts? No, I'm, we're going to talk, you could do a good elk tag this year. Yeah. And I got you, a quick one. I got a quick question. Just like, how, how do I get that higher pitch that you're talking about? It's going to help me get more locators. What do I need to do? So as a caller, there's, there's two factors that, that play into the, there's, there's air that you can put across the reed and there's pressure you can apply with your tongue. Yeah. Um, so it, it's kind of, and, and a lot of us call with the balance of that. You're, you're applying a little bit of both. So you're going to want either more pressure, but if that locks the call out, right. you need the, you it may breaks. be, you like may when you be, say locks out, you like breaks yeah, and all of a sudden you up. lose your, you lose that note. Yep. So then you're like, well, all right, I can't add any more pressure. I need to just put more air across. If that doesn't work, I would highly recommend moving the call in your mouth a little bit, either forward or back, oh. and finding a spot that maybe allows uh, you know some pressure to hit it a little bit different. Can I give you one? See if you can tell me what I, yeah. which one I need to do. You're, yo, so this is Yanni ripping the bugle. Brand new Phelps. Out of the package. Signature series. Out of the package. Brand new Phelps tube. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like these bugling tubes that are like a smaller, more packable tube. Because yeah. a lot of times you look at the damn tube, right? You're like, man, Dude, you, could carry, you can carry this thing in your cargo pocket. Yeah. That's where it, mine might be. It, it fits in. I designed it to be the same size. Oh. It will fit in a normal, this is a small water bottle. Oh, you pocket. made it so it'll fit in a water yeah. bottle, water bottle holder on a backpack. Yep. And, it, and then, and then it'll, you don't even need anything else attached. It'll literally just stuff in a water What's bottle. What's this new little one called? The unrivaled tube. Unrivaled tube. Unrivaled. Right, here we go. Let me tell you a good Yana story. That we're hunting out down in Kentucky. Loud enough, high enough. Yeah, you got, I don't know if it was the read, the one you bugled on before this started, hit a lower pitch, but that one seemed to definitely go high enough. Well, yeah, that one, it's a year old read. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's been used no, a lot. That was, so. that was good. Really? Yeah, you might you probably made me just sound bad. Yeah. Oh, come Let on. me tell you a story. <laughs> we're hunting out in Kentucky. And one day we're just out and it's kind of got like middle of the day doldrums, you know? And we sat and like ate lunch. Not being, because we were just in like, kind of like checking out this other area that we weren't even like serious about. We just happened to wander in this area to see what's going on. Sat and ate lunch, shooting the shit, okay? And then he just decides to rip a bugle more just like whatever. And all of a sudden an elk walks into us. 
he had been laying there listening to our conversation. It just comes right in. And then here's special a special bu- Kentucky elk. And here's a bugle, and all of a sudden stands up, and all of a sudden someone hears a noise, and his elk just walks up to us. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, we've 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 had a lot of lunch. Matter of fact, that 2000 a lot of lunch bowls, a lot of lunch bowls, or <laughs> uh, nap bowls, where we're just napping, and like one of us, like, do you hear that? How's a raven? No, it wasn't. Get up, maybe let a little cow call, and then he hammers back. You're like, oh shoot, you know, and everybody's running to get get set up. But we've called multiple bowls lunch. You're just because you're a little more. You're just listening, hanging out, and you get a bull to answer, and you'll call them in right there where you're eating lunch. It's just, it's crazy, um, you know, when and how. But that, that midday, if you can get a bull to answer 10 to 2, your chances are good. It's just like hunting turkeys. Gosh, I was good. Say. Sounds like you're hunting turkeys. Sorry, yeah. Remy. A quick question on this, uh, <laughs> this tube. Why is it not just a straight pipe on the end? Why does it roll in? Is that for like reverberation? For back pressure. Back um, pressure. So, you can take a, a, a one and a half inch diameter PVC pipe and, and blow through it, but there's no resistance. No, you can go down to a one inch and there's no resistance or three quarters. And you, or you can take like my, my big tube or that, that new unrivaled tube that's a four inch diameter tube and you have to blow a quarter of the air through this as you do a one inch piece of PVC pipe. It all has to do with the back pressure. And what that does is when you get up and grab that high note that we were just talking about, it just kind of sits there for you. It's easy to hold that note instead of wavering versus if I had, you know, a straight piece of corrugated pipe, it's very, very difficult even for a guy like myself that can control that high note to sit there and hold it and, and put enough air across that. So that's why we kind of, you know, one of the things we've did on both these tubes is we kind of overcup the end to provide the right amount of back pressure. On the little tube, it was a little more difficult because you don't want to give up too much volume. The smaller you make that hole, the less yeah. volume you get out of it. So it was kind of a balance of let's make sure there's enough back pressure that we can run the call versus still get enough volume that it's effective enough to pack around in the in the woods. And you're just selling calls like a mofo right now. Like people are ordering right now. It is. Abs- it people is, are thinking about it. It's it's awesome. I, I can't can't say anything else. Uh, my wife and mom, I think, are ready for uh, for the middle of October since they're managing most of it. But uh, it's it's been an incredible year for us. When when does uh when do people start getting fired up about buying calls and when do they kind of forget about it? Uh, July, I always say the Fourth of July is kind of the big the big bump, and we can see it in our numbers for the last four years. People like, light off all their fireworks yeah, and then go, they're and they're they're go buy an elk call. <laughs> they're ready. Uh, you see a little bit of a bump, um, you know, when the draws start, but draws are kind of all across the board. So you also oh, people start pulling tags and yeah, ordering calls. Yeah, they get serious all of a sudden. Um, <laughs> July and August have always been our best month. So August has been the best month the last two years. So it's right yeah. now is really at, at the height of, um, and then you've got the difference in we sell the vendors versus selling off of our website. The vendors have already kind of preloaded a lot of their stuff. They needed yeah. it in the store. I now. was thinking about the difference. In yeah. The- so the vendors may start to tail off a little bit where our website, they're kind of crossing. Um, so it's been good. I'm, uh, I'm ready for September though. I'm not going to lie. To go hunting. Yeah. <laughs> to take off. Uh, Jason Phelps, Phelps Game Calls. As usual, thank you for coming on, man. Yeah, thanks for having it's me. It's always very informative. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without your essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting into go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on and having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear.
Sport Dog is the most recognized brand in the hunting dog training industry. The Sport Dog promise to consumers is simple. Gear the way you'd design it. Every product Sport Dog builds is meticulously designed and rigorously tested in the field, ensuring it withstands the toughest conditions you and your dog may encounter. I've used that Sport Dog collar in different temperatures. It just doesn't stop working. Get 20% off your first purchase using code Meat Eater. So go to www.sportdog.com slash meat eater to learn more. 